Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking, episode 70, if I do say so myself. I'm your host, Archie Mitchell, and tonight we are back with another week of professional wrestling, reviewing NXT and AEW. We'll talk a little bit about Raw and SmackDown. We'll give you some quick hits. And at the end of the show, I plan on discussing something that's been going on in the um, WWE for the last uh, couple of weeks, um, the White Rabbit and all the teases that have been going on with it. So make sure you stay tuned until the end of the show. If you got any friends who haven't listened to If You Smell What The Arch Is Cooking, well, then what kind of terrible friend are you? Because they should be listening. So do me a favor, give it a shout, let people know, and get this show continuing to roll. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into our first segment. And that is, as you know, is our quick hits. So I want you to go ahead and crack open your favorite frosty beverage, strap in, and get ready for a ride as we talk about professional wrestling. And I spew my venom, my hate, and my love for this sport. And our first quick hit this evening is Sting will take part in the Great Muda's retirement match in Japan. That is right. The Great Muda is set to retire in just a couple of months. And as we know, he debuted in AEW last week. Well, apparently the reason that he debuted was because he wanted Sting to take part in his retirement match. Now, Muda and Sting have had some of the absolute best matches I have ever seen in the late 80s and early 90s. They battled all over the world and were two of the absolute best. Both have gotten up there in age, but I can say this. They can still go in the ring. And I think if protected in a tag team match, uh, whether they're going against each other or teaming up, these two men could have a great matchup and Muda could be sent off gracefully. So I like what I'm hearing here. I think that having Sting, one of Muda's greatest rivals, taking part in this matchup will help to not only provide even more star power than there already is with the great Muda, but more hype. And I think that AEW is going to help in hyping this matchup more so than anything. Because if Sting is involved, well, then so are they. Number two, AEW announces AEW Plus, a streaming service partnership with Fight TV. You can watch Dynamite, Rampage, Dark, Elevation, and past pay-per-views. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about this news because AEW is still a new company. They are still in their infancy. It's only been a few years. In fact, they're having their four-year anniversary in just a couple of days. But to go ahead and do this streaming site with not all that much great content, and what I mean is Elevation and Dark are not their top shows, but it will give people an opportunity to finally get a chance to watch them. Rampage was good when it first started. Lately, it's kind of fell off, but they have a gem or two involved every week. And Dynamite has been Dynamite the last month or so, but in the early going, it was something to watch. And, of course, they do seem to deliver on pay-per-view just about every damn time. So while I think a streaming site is great, I would like them to maybe wait until they were five years old before they jumped into this market because 
Tony Khan likes to boast. Tony Khan loves to talk about data and how many people are watching and how many people are subscribing and how many people are paying for the pay-per-views and, you know, boasting about the craziest of accolades. So if not many people are going to go ahead and pay for this streaming site, I'm assuming it's going to be somewhere around the $20 mark, uh, then he's going to be pretty upset. And we're going to see him probably bitching and moaning on Twitter. <laughs> so, Tony, uh, if you're out there, if you ever listen to this, don't worry. I'm sure people will start to subscribe once a little bit of time goes on and word of mouth gets out there. Uh, and, you know, just give it time. Like I said, maybe had you waited a little bit and hyped this uh, a little more, maybe things would have went better. But I foresee not that many people uh, subscribing right away. And I actually see a lot of friends going, hey, you got that AEW uh, Plus? You got that Fight TV uh, thing? that we? Yeah, I got it. Give me your code. I want to check it out. And then four to five people watching it at once, like used to happen with Netflix and the WWE Network. But maybe that's just me. Who knows? And number three, in a sad bit of news, Antonio Inoki, Japanese legend and WWE Hall of Famer, has passed away at the age of 79. My first um, noticing of Muda, of Anoki, uh, excuse me, of Antonio Inoki, uh, was in the movie The Bad News Bears Go to Japan. I know that sounds funny, but that is when I first got to see him. And then my granddad showed me Anoki versus Ali. And then he showed up in the United States again. And I began watching this man. And then I wanted to see everything I possibly could with him. So I went and through tape trading and, you know, getting to know uh, other people in uh, the whole wrestling world, finding more footage of him and being able to watch it. Antonio Inoki, along with Giant Bubba, revolutionized Japanese wrestling. They made it mainstream. They made people want to watch it. They made it cool. And if not for them, there would be no New Japan. There would be no All Japan. There'd be no Michinoku Pro or Pro Wrestling Noah or any of the offshoots that we've had since then. They revolutionized it. And the, the guys like Muda, Liger, and everybody else involved after that perfected it. Losing someone like Anoki is a major blow to the world of professional wrestling. And I want to say that our deepest thoughts and prayers go out to the Anoki family and that there will never be anyone else like Antonio Anoki again in this business. Amazing to hear of his passing. Very saddening day for the wrestling world. Um, just not really something that you were expecting to happen. I know he was 79, but... He was always the picture of health, so this was kind of a quick and deep blow out of nowhere. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and now get into my newest favorite segment, as I always say every time, the highlight reel. And, ladies and gentlemen, our first highlight will come from Monday Night Raw this week. Seth Rollins taking on Rey Mysterio in a 23-minute masterpiece. I was very down on the Seth Rollins-Rey Mysterio feud because of everything that it had to do with the Mysterio family involving Dominic, involving Aliyah. The eye-for-an-eye match was just 
total and utter bullshit. But these two men went out there and gave us something totally different this week and had a match that I haven't seen in quite some time. Seth Rollins was amazing. Rey Mysterio looked like the Rey of old. And I'm very proud to say that I got to see this match on Monday Night Raw this past Monday. Great matchup between those two. Uh, number two from Monday Night Raw, Johnny Gargano and Kevin Owens taking on Alpha Academy. Gargano and Owens are an amazing tag team and did a lot in this matchup that I wasn't expecting. Um, Alpha Academy, in my opinion, is a strong tag team, but isn't getting the push that they deserve. And I know that they had a shot and a run with the tag team titles, but they deserve so much more. Uh, number three, Candice LeRae returns to Monday Night Raw in a quick win. Uh, unbelievable to see her back. Uh, with Gargano coming back and her just having given birth nine months ago, I expected that she was going to be at home and, you know, uh, getting better and, of course, spending time with her child. But, hey, if Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins were able to do it after their child was born, and we've seen so many other women's wrestlers come back after having a baby, why can't she? She looked like she had a little bit of ring rust on her, but she did a damn fine job. And I, I'm happy to see Candice, Candice LeRae back and uh, on the main roster because she spent quite a bit of time in NXT. And finally, for Monday Night Raw number four, Sami Zayn and AJ Styles. What a matchup. Like you've got two guys who have spent at, at least, if not more than 20 years in this business. I know Styles has spent more than that in this business. And uh, it was Sami Zayn, the honorary ooze. What more can we say? The guy always seems to be reinventing himself in that ring. And AJ Styles, no pun intended, was absolutely phenomenal. So great matches on Monday Night Raw. A couple of surprises. Triple H continues to deliver on Monday nights. Over on SmackDown this past Friday night, uh, the opening match with Solo Sukhoi and Sami Zayn taking on Ricochet and Riddick Moss. Really good tag match. Uh, all four involved, I think, got their shots in and did what they needed to do. Solo picks up another big win, and he gets his continued push on the main roster. And Sami Zayn acts like he just won the World Heavyweight title. And number two, uh, Imperium's beatdown on Sheamus. Uh, I think that Walter versus Sheamus is a feud that needs to continue. I think that everybody involved will continue to benefit. And I think that we need to continue to see these two men tee off on each other as much as possible. At Extreme Rules, we're going to see a Donnie Brooks six-man tag match. I don't know what that entails. I'm assuming it's a Falls Count Anywhere tag match. Next week on SmackDown, we're going to see Sheamus taking on Walter um, So for the Intercontinental title. So in my opinion, this is great. Uh, them beating Sheamus down because the Brawling Brutes were left over in um, Florida. Perfect. Make Sheamus look like he's naive and he's, uh, you know, not able to do anything because his boys ain't there. And then go ahead and take his ass out. Well done. That was it, though, from Friday Night SmackDown. Nothing really new, nothing really big. Uh, so not a whole lot going on on Friday night. And with that being said, we're going to go ahead and get into our next segment, which is our show review. And we're going to go ahead and talk about NXT. And a reminder that you can catch uh, the We Can't Wrestle podcast, A Slice of Time, Mark's Indie Spotlight, and uh, the year that was right here on WrestleNet Radio every night of the week. Something going on here on WrestleNet Radio. That's right. You heard me. 
Every night of the week, there's a new show on. If it's not really being extreme, then it's definitely going to be Mark Cindy Spotlight. If it's not that, it's the We Can't Wrestle podcast, the year that was Slice of Time, or this show right here, if you smell what the arch is cooking. So let's go ahead and get into the NXT show review. And the show kicks off this week with Ilian Dragunov making his way to the ring and cutting a promo about how he defeated Walter and endured everything that came at him. He says he's back to beat Braun Baker, Breaker and become the NXT champion, and this brings out J.D. McDowell. Uh They exchange pleasantries and talk about how Ilya beat J.D. and sent him out of NXT UK, but also how J.D. broke the ankle of Ilya and forced him to give up the UK championship. Both guys digging in here. Uh, with both men in the ring, we get the arrival of the NXT champion, Braun Breaker. He welcomes Dragunov but says the NXT title isn't going anywhere. Braun prays tribute to his uncle Scotty and said JD and Ilya have a 33 and a third chance of winning in the now-announced triple threat match at Halloween Havoc for the NXT title. This uh, is the only way to open up this week's show after the way it ended. Very well done. I have to say, when Braun pays tribute to his dad and his uncle and uh, does that Steiner math uh, stuff, it really gives me a kick. Uh, I love it. If you guys know, I'm a big Scott Steiner fan, and um, Steiner math is a very big part of my life. So, yeah. Backstage security tries to separate Briggs, Jensen, and Gallus, but it ain't happening easily. Mandy Rose sends a message to Alba Fire on her way to the ring to meet Fallon Henry. We then go to pre-recorded comments of the schism. They tell Cameron Grimes that now they have to destroy him and send him back into nothingness. Fallon Henley then takes on the NXT Women's Champion Mandy Rose. Decent outing for both women, as Henley seems to have improved. Rose took the advantage and tortured her opponent. Rose then hit her running knee and got the win in seven minutes. Mandy has truly been the leader of the NXT Women's Division, and I like where this continues to go. Post-match, Mandy Rose lets Alba Fire know that she's beaten everyone in her path and will beat her as well. Alba comes onto the big screen and sets something on fire. Well, it says, and new. Um, I like uh, this, you know, uh, speak easy and carry a big stick attitude from Alba Fire. I think she and Mandy should have a great matchup. A vignette for the continued feud with Paolo Cruz and Grayson Waller shows us everything that these two have been through. Not a big fan of this storyline, but they can't all be winners, I guess. Wesley makes his way to the ring with another young man from Connor's Cure and is ready for his qualifying match tonight. Backstage, Zion Quinn introduces himself to Dragunov, uh, and uh, Zion tries to undermine uh, Ilion, but the former UK champion shuts him up. Apparently, they're going to have a match later on tonight. Tony D then takes on Wesley. Difference in styles made for a good beginning to this one. Tony used his strength and to keep Lee down, but Lee made a quick comeback and started moving quicker. West took Tony D down with a leg trip and his head hit the corner and he crumbled down. The ref checked on him, but he wasn't able to continue and the match was stopped. Wesley gets the win in seven minutes due to referee stoppage. I hope D'Angelo is okay here. I couldn't tell if it was his knee or a concussion. Backstage, McKenzie is interviewing Carmelo Hayes about the NA ladder match at Halloween Havoc. Uh, Carmelo says he doesn't care that Wesley qualified and it doesn't matter about the other competitors. Ora Mensa comes in to pay his respects, but Hayes shuts him down and walks off. 
The Surfer Girl debuts next. Oh, happy day. A vignette is played for Pretty Deadly. We get a look at the day in the life of the NXT champions, and yeah, that happened. Okay, moving on. Amari Miller takes on Surfer Girl, Sol Roca. Uh, this wasn't as bad as I actually thought it was going to be. Both women actually had a good match. Roca used some innovative offense and um, her arm drag into a face buster and then spinning double leg drop from the second rope. Got her the win in three minutes. Was worried we were about to see a botch fest, but actually pleasantly surprised here, folks. Gallus is still being calmed down by security. Joe Coffey headbutts one of them, and they are get put into a little dark room until the main event. Are they on timeout? And then we go to uh, Cameron Grimes taking on Joe Gacy. This one was shockingly quick and uh, in not a good way. Grimes took an early advantage, looked for his finisher, but the dyad caused the distraction. This allowed Gacy to hit his handstand clothesline. Gacy gets the win in three minutes. What the fuck happened here? Who did Cameron Grimes piss off? Grayson Waller is rambling about Apollo Crews to McKenzie. He says he needs more security to protect him from Crews and his visions. Nikita Lyons is making her way to the ring for our next matchup, and it'll be Lyons taking on Caden Carter. Another subpar performance from these two women who don't really deserve the pushes that they're getting. A lot of mistiming and messed up moves. Lyons got the win in five minutes after a bad-looking split-legged finisher. Not, not good, guys. We go... Uh, to get a look back at last week's match between Chase U, Hayes, and Williams. Andre Chase is with his Chase U students and lets them know that after his win last week, he's earned a qualifying match for the NA ladder match. It's against Von Wagner, and Andre knows he can beat him. Um, I don't think so, but okay, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> and then Ilian Dragunov took on Zion Quinn. This was a hard-hitting matchup as both men teed off on one another throughout this short time together. Quinn tried to get um, Dragunov and outwit him, but Ilian reversed him and hit his finisher to get the win in five minutes. What's up with all the quick matches? I, I thought I think we've had anything past seven minutes so far tonight. I, I don't think we've really gone past that seven-minute mark. This is a little ridiculous. The Creeds make their way to the ring for Brutus's match with Damon Kemp. This should be good. A video package for Wendy Chu and Lash Legend is aired, and I could care less about those two. Uh, Kemp versus Creed. This one started on the ramp, got in the ring, and I assumed it was about to be a great matchup, but I was wrong. Kemp used the chair. The match got thrown out, and Kemp went on to beat down Creed. This has not been good so far at all, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what has changed from last week to this week. Sangha is talking and getting advice from Quincy, the love child of Mabel and Goldust. And uh, he then lends some advice to Zion Quinn as well. Uh, you no. Know, oh, look. Nikita Lyons and Zoe are bragging about how they are good together and, um, and that, you know, how good they are. Says who? Who, who told you guys you were good? The the guys online who are saying that Nikita is beautiful and has some of the best assets they've ever seen? Because that's all I ever see. At least Toxic Attraction showed up, though, and then Alba Fire did her best Kane impression. Uh, this actually made me laugh as she set the floor on fire. And I, that was, like, the best part of that whole thing there i have to i have to say and i'm thinking we're going to get a six-man tag between all six of those women next week i hope not because i don't want alba to get the rub from nikita and zoe but that's fine and then it's main event time ladies and gentlemen gallus taking on briggs and jensen this was a pub brawl and guess what the name says it all 
both teams waged war and fought with every type of weapon all over the place. Gallus looks like they had it all down, uh, down, uh, but Briggs and Jensen came back and uh, we saw a high-low finisher from Briggs and Jensen, and they got the win in 14 minutes, our longest match and our best match of the night. It was action all over the ring, like I said, weapons galore, tables, ladders, chairs, you name it. Good main event, a lot of action here. Post-match, Gallus beat down the security and then were arrested. It later got announced on WWE.com that they have been suspended. I kind of like where this is going, but I don't know if maybe this is a way to write Gallus off TV or not or what's going on. But in any case, I hope this is a continued push for Briggs and Jensen. I'm giving NXT a 3 out of 5, and that's barely a passing grade this week. The opening segment and match were good, but everything else was way too rushed. The main event kept the show from being a 2, in my opinion. NXT needs to remember what they did last week and repeat it here and from on out. Damn. So, we're through NXT. Let's not waste any time. Let's go ahead and take a look at Dynamite. And Dynamite gets started with Excalibur welcoming us to the show. And here comes the Jericho Appreciation Society, dumbest name ever, to celebrate. The celebration is for Chris Jericho's Ring of Honor world title win last week. And it's complete with indie pizza twirling wrestler. That's right. He's here, ladies and gentlemen. The JSA ramble on and then Jericho announces he is now the Ocho, the most watched Ring of Honor champion, and will defend the title against Bandito later on tonight. Jericho hyped Daniel Garcia and then gave him a present, which was a purple bucket hat. Garcia snaps and rips the hat off, knocks out the pizza guy, and says he's done, but Jericho cuts him off. Here comes Daniel uh, Brian Danielson, excuse me, uh, not Daniel Bryan, no, he, he died a long time ago. No, this is Brian Danielson, the American Dragon. He tries to talk to Garcia, but Jericho stops him and says Garcia belongs to him. Garcia talks about being entertaining and asks if Jericho and Guevara taking on Danielson and himself would be entertaining. And this segment went way too long. Just so we could get Brian Danielson taking on Daddy Magic one-on-one. -on -one. That's right. You heard it here first, folks. This match was actually good with Danielson fighting from underneath. Magic beat down his opponent with right hands and kept him on the mat for the early going. Danielson made a comeback, reversed whatever Magic threw, uh, threw at him, and locked in the LaBelle block to get the win in seven minutes. Happy with the opening match, but the opening segment was not that good to be 20 minutes long, in my opinion. Highlight videos for Moxley and Juice Robinson air next, and we get a better understanding of why Juice is facing Mox tonight. I didn't know wins in other companies mattered in AEW's ranking system. We get a look back at last week's confrontation between MJF and Wheeler Yuta, and then Yuta comes out. Yuta makes his way to the ring and calls out MJF because they have a huge problem. MJF pushed Tony Giovanni last week, so Wheeler is in to, uh, here to defend Tony. Max comes out and makes fun of Philly and calls Giovanni a fat old prick. He then turns his attention to Yuta and says Yuta has about as much presence as Joe Frazier, who is dead. <laughs> Wheeler wants to fight, and if Max won't fight him, he will leave him in a pool of blood on Broad Street. Now, that's a it's a bad threat there. I've seen Broad Street. It's not somewhere you want to be bleeding on. MJF calls out the Az Boys, and Yuta walks up the ramp. MJF will wrestle Yuta next week, but tonight he's going to watch Moxley beat a, be a horrible wrestler and then walks off. Decent, decent segment, but damn, are they eating up a lot of TV time. 
Sanjay Dutt makes a match between Jay Lethal and Darby Allen for next week. Lethal says he's going to leave Satam and Sanjay backstage and beat Darby on his own. Juice Robinson then takes on John Moxley in a championship eliminator match. It's a number one contender match, if you don't know. Um, as our next match is beginning, Juice Robinson makes his way to the ring looking like the disciple, the gimmick of Brutus Beefcake in WCW and the NWO. Juice attacks Mox, and we are underway. Mox makes a comeback, and these two just fought it out this entire match. In and out of the ring, we saw them just strike one another with everything they had, which Mox got, uh, got ended up bleeding. Of course he did. Uh, Mox finally got the upper hand, laid into Juice with boots to the head, and finally hit his finisher. Mox gets the win in 12 minutes. This was actually a very good match. No complaints here except for the bleeding from Mox, which was unnecessary. Post-match, Hangman Adams Page made his way to the ring and went face-to-face -face with Moxley. MJF from the spy, Skybox cuts them off and threatens to cash in his ship during their matchup in Cincinnati. Wheeler Yuta attacks MJF from behind, and Mox and Hangman are still facing off inside the middle of the ring. A hype video for Bandino is shown with Excalibur and Tony Schiavone telling us why he deserves a Ring of Honor title shot tonight. If you have to explain why Juice Robinson and Bandito deserve their matches tonight, well, maybe they don't deserve them then. Because your core fans don't know who they are or where they came from. Soraya is out next and ready to deliver her first AEW promo. She's back, she's damaged, but she's not broken. She's going to create change because she was the revolution there. She is the revolution here, and she is the revolution. What? She calls out the AEW Women's Division, brings out Tony Storm and others. She pays her respects to Storm, and then gets cut off by Britt Baker and the heels of the division. Baker blames Athena and Storm for her broken nose, and Soraya is nothing more than a catchphrase. Soraya goes all five-year-old on her and says that Britt's name rhymes with shit. The woman formerly known as Paige throws serious shade at the WWE, saying that she finally has a boss who listens to her and makes Serena Deeb versus Tony Storm for the women's title tonight, and it's a, ladder, a lumberjack match. Saraya and everyone involved in this segment uh, were awkward and cringy. Not good at all. Went way too long. She was stumbling over our lines, which I understand. She hasn't cut a promo in quite some time, but, I mean, it just seemed like she was grasping at straws. Deeb versus Storm is next. Deeb was smooth and great in this matchup. Excellent transition between moves. Storm, however, looked a little clumsy and tired. Deeb almost had it won with the submission in the middle, but Storm fought back and delivered her Storm Zero pile driver for two. Deeb tried to come back, but Storm put her on the top rope. A second Storm Zero was hit. Uh, from the second rope, and Tony Storm got the win in 12 minutes. Decent, but only because of Deeb. Tony interviewed Billy Gunn and the new AEW Tag Team Champions, the acclaimed next. And apparently next week is National Scissors Day. And they couldn't be happier. They have an opening contract for uh, a matchup to defend their tag team titles on Rampage. Keith Lee walks up. He congratulates the new champions and criticizes Billy Gunn for getting involved last week. Billy says to tell Swerve he's got two words for him. Scissor me. That's original, Billy. Butch, uh, excuse me, Butcher, Blade, and Private Party are arguing backstage. Andrade yells at the Private Party, and everyone walks off. Tony tries to talk to them, but Matt Hardy walks up. Matt tells Private Party to quit Andrade's faction and rejoin him. Man, Matt is really trying to keep busy while Brother Jeff is waiting to make his return once he's done with rehab. Ricky Starks then takes on Isom. They toggled with lockups and armbars for a sec. 
Starks hit a spear and then his finisher, and it was over in 90 seconds. Yep, that's what this show needed was a squash by Ricky Starks. We get a rundown for Rampage this week and next week on Dynamite, a vignette for Christian and Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy is then shown. I'm liking this feud except for the constant turning of Luchasaurus. I mean, I'm not getting it. Is he Big Show or what? Are we, is he going to rip off the match and mask him? It's going to be Paul White. And now it's time for our main event, Bandito taking on Chris Jericho. And this was, this was actually a great main event despite Bandito just being given a title shot. Bandito went high risk throughout, and that delayed suplex was insane. He had Jericho up there for a minute. Jericho fought back and locked in a walls, but Bandito got out of it and continued his fight. Jericho leveled Bandito with a, uh, and he began bleeding from his mouth. Jericho hit a Judas effect and locked back in the walls one more time. Bandito couldn't reach the ropes, finally tapped out at the 18-minute mark, and it was an excellent matchup between both men here. Hats off to Bandito. I kind of hope he sticks around and continues to have matches like that. Post-match, Jericho cuts promo saying he's going to destroy the legacy of Ring of Honor and wants to beat every former champion. He challenges Danielson for October 12th in Canada and then hits Ring of Honor uh, Ring of Honor ring announcer Bobby Cruz with a Jewish effect to end the show. Just like NXT, I'm giving AEW Dynamite a 3 out of 5. It was tough to watch this week as the interview segments were way too long and dragged out and the matches weren't what they we were constantly used to from this show. MJF, Jericho, and Bandito saved this week's episode, in my opinion. Let's hope next week is better. Because I'll be honest with you, guys, I don't know how much more this I could take. <laughs> Both shows being bad, I, I don't know, guys. Um, with that being said... Um, I don't have any music for this particular segment because this is just an open discussion. It's not a grinds my gears. It's not that little funny blurb that I did about Mindy's a couple of weeks ago. No, this is just going to be me discussing what's been going on with the whole white rabbit storyline. And here we go. I just going to take a quick drink. And with that being said, and me getting my drink, I like where this is going. The um, song White Rabbit being played during uh, commercial breaks has been getting the fans hyped. The QR code with the teases, such as Who Killed the World? You did. Last week's, um, you know, uh, Run was one of them. You know, they had a, it ended up spelling out Run. Uh, the zip code for um, Wyndham, the town of Wyndham. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, it, it's all been great and this past friday on smackdown we saw uh, another qr code and it led to a picture of one of the three little pigs sitting in front of a straw house um now let's try and put this all together for a second here ladies and gentlemen the man known as bray wyatt once cut a promo and said who killed the world you did. His last name is Wyndham Rotundo. The uh, three little pigs, Husky the pig, Husky Harris, the fat little piggy. These have all been teases leading to Bray Wyatt. <laughs> but I have a feeling that in typical WWE fashion, this will not be Bray Wyatt. 
if you remember, we got caught up with all of um, a lot of different things going on with that vignette a couple months ago, and it turned out to be Edge. We get caught up with all these little vignettes when they put them together. And if you think back to the vignettes for Brodus Clay, it looked like this monster was coming. Oh, my God, he's about to destroy the entire division. And then it ended up being a guy who was dancing with some girls with cheerleading outfits and pom-poms. And acting like a big old fool. Now, it could be that it's Bray Wyatt with a totally new gimmick. And it could be that it's not Bray Wyatt and somebody else who's going to portray a more sadistic or crazier character we've ever seen. But in my opinion, I honestly think that this is not Bray Wyatt because it is too simple right now. All of these clues are leading to Bray Wyatt. And if you're going to do a teaser, why would you make it so obvious? It just doesn't seem like something Triple H would do. It definitely doesn't seem like something that the WWE would do. To me, it seems like it's going to be someone different. Maybe someone we haven't seen in a while that's coming back. Maybe someone that we don't know. Somebody completely new, debuting. Or it could just be the obvious thing and be Bray Wyatt. But I'm leaning towards it being something completely different. Or... Are we all about to Bo leave? That's right. Is Bo Dallas maybe going to come back? Could Barry Windham be coming back to the WWE? <laughs> These are all just things that I've been talking about and dealing with. You know, uh, talking to my buddies, um, Jimmy Wayne, Wallace, and uh, Angelo. Talking to them about the whole White Rabbit thing. Some of us believe that it's, it is Bray Wyatt. Some of us believe that it's not Bray Wyatt. I even spoke it over with my missus and she said, well, maybe they're making it this simple so that it is Bray Wyatt and the fans finally get what they want. That's a good point. But in this day and age where wrestling fans complain about everything and anything, would you really want to make it that simple? Would you really want the opportunity for someone to criticize and say, oh, you gave it away. It was always Bray Wyatt. This is bullshit. How could you make his comeback so stupid? Would you really want to give somebody a chance? What All that hyping and it was just Bray Wyatt. Or all that hyping and then he wasn't even what we were expecting. I think Triple H is a little smarter than that. Now, other things that are being said is that he's going to debut at Extreme Rules. And then there are other reports coming out that he's not going to debut until Survivor Series. I would like it to be Survivor Series, actually. And here's why. 
debuts that happen at Survivor Series end up being and turning into some of the best wrestlers that we've ever seen. You don't believe me? I'll name two off the top of my head. The Undertaker and The Rock. Both of them debuted at the Survivor Series. And look at them now. So whatever the case may be, whatever's about to happen with this white rabbit and all these teases, I hope that they at least deliver. And I hope that they give us something that we can be talking about for weeks on end, if not months on end, and enjoying it. I'm enjoying the WWE again. More so than I ever have in the last 10 years. And it's kind of making me pull back from AEW a little bit because they're not delivering what they should be delivering when the WWE is firing on all cylinders. So whatever the White Rabbit is, whatever it's going to be, I hope it's good. That's all I'm saying. With that being said, I want to once again thank you guys for joining me. It's bizarre that we're at episode 70 for me because like I always say, I never thought that I'd go this long, but... I guess we're in it for the long haul. As long as you guys are here, I'm here. And until next week, I will see you next time on If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking.